This week we're talking about perhaps the church's worst and best pope, the guy who denied Christ in the flesh before his death and then repented after the resurrection, the one who, like Forrest Gump seeing Lieutenant Dan on the shore, jumped into the sea practically naked to swim to the risen Jesus. He was so excited to see him. The fisherman of little faith, the apostle with the keys, the preacher who converted 3,000 in a single sermon. To start out the Popecast, it's the one and only St. Peter. Hey there, I'm Matt Sewell, and this is the podcast about popes for people who like history but aren't so crazy about dry, dusty history books. This podcast will be a periodic look into the lives of one of the 264 men who have held or are currently holding the office of the Vicar of Christ, the Bishop of Rome, the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church. Before we get to St. Peter, each episode of the Popecast will follow a loose structure that quickly covers each Pope's backstory, the historical context in which they served as Pope, and then how they got elected, their greatest achievements and mishaps, and finally their death and any legacy that's left for us to chew on today. And if all goes as planned, each episode will hover between 10 and 20 minutes, uh, maybe a little less even. So now, on to St. Peter. Simon, as Peter was then known, grew up in a town called Bethsaida which likely sat on the Jordan River. The region had a strong Gentile influence, which meant that Peter likely spoke Greek fluently. And though he wasn't formally educated in either the Greek or the Jewish traditions, Peter was probably literate still. He was a fisherman by trade, as many of us know, so chances are good he could give away uh, free tickets to the gun show whenever he wanted, shall we say. So when we first meet Peter, he and his brother Andrew were approached by Jesus on the shores of the Sea of Galilee around the year 30 A.D., His request to the pair began the three-year journey where Peter would soon emerge as the leader of Jesus' band of apostles. And then, at some point prior to meeting Jesus, Peter seems to have moved to Capernaum, since we notice in the Gospels that Peter's home and fishing boat were often at Jesus' disposal. In terms of his life, by all accounts, it would seem that Peter was a pretty regular guy. He may once have been married, since we hear about him caring for his mother-in-law at one point in Scripture. And Peter was also a bit of a hothead, Remember the whole cutting off the slave's ear thing before the passion? And then at times he didn't always comprehend what Jesus was asking of him. See the, quote, get behind me Satan line right after Jesus had given him the keys to the kingdom, which we'll hear about in a minute. It's as if Jesus was thinking, you've seen me raise the dead and you think I'm wrong? Anyways, so as far as when Peter was made Pope, even though that particular word wouldn't be formally used for a while yet, There's a particular scripture verse that's pointed to as Jesus establishing Peter's authority and creating his office as the head of this newfound church. In the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus asking the apostles who people say that he is. After the apostles replied that some thought he was John the Baptist and others thought he was Elijah, Jesus replied, but who do you say that I am? And it's Peter who picks it up from from there, starting in verse 16. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Once Jesus had formed his inner circle of 12 apostles, that was Peter, Andrew, James, and John, Philip, Thaddeus, Bartholomew, Thomas, another James, Matthew, another Simon, and Judas, the betrayer, 
a quick, quick flip through the entire gospel narrative, and the Acts of the Apostles shows Peter being mentioned either first in the list of apostles or as the representative of the whole company of apostles. We'll see Peter and the other apostles. It's pretty remarkable, actually, if you count up all the times the apostles were mentioned by name in Scripture, St. Peter is first, being mentioned 195 times. Second place was St. John, who was only mentioned 29 times. And St. James was third with only 19. So then most of all, Peter's greatest achievement was leading the church longer than any other pope throughout the next 2,000 years and helping it to steadily grow despite the intense persecution from the Roman Empire. The Acts of the Apostles, for example, are chock full of stories of Peter leading the young church. He preached to the crowds in Jerusalem in chapter 3, spoke in the name of the church when put on trial before the Sanhedrin in chapter 4, and made a dogmatic pronouncement at the Council of Jerusalem that caused all disputes to cease in chapter 15. From the time of Jesus' death to his own martyrdom, Peter served in his role for close to 40 years. As a quick side note, actually, the movie Full of Grace is an excellent movie on this very topic. It's actually set 10 years following the death and resurrection of Jesus with Peter and Mary, Jesus' mother, as its main characters. The story is, of course, largely speculative, uh, but it hones in on Mary's last days on earth and provides a pretty fantastic look into the challenges of the early church, not to mention the roles both Peter and Mary would have played in its development. So for his death and legacy, Peter had made his way to Rome by the end, and as mentioned, he died a martyr's death, like all but one of his fellow apostles. Jesus practically prophesied the manner of Peter's death in John chapter 21, saying, quote, When you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish to go, end quote. Peter endured a passion like his Lord's, as the church father Tertullian wrote but he reportedly asked his executioners to flip the cross upside down, feeling unworthy to die as Jesus did. So Peter was crucified at Rome beneath the very same obelisk that now sits in the middle of St. Peter's Square. Something pretty interesting to note, actually, is the story of St. Peter's earthly remains. It's commonly thought that in order to get his body off the cross following Peter's death, that the Romans cut his feet off instead of prying the nails out of his feet. His body, after his death, was recovered by those early Christians who made sure to mark the spot of such a prominent figure in the early church. And then they secretly venerated and protected it from pagan desecration. Pope St. Anicetus, Pope number 11, built a more formal memorial not quite a hundred years later. And then the Emperor Constantine, after legalizing Christianity in the early 300s, built the first St. Peter's Basilica on that very spot. Pope Julius did the same when construction on the current St. Peter's Basilica was begun in the 16th century, and then when Pope Pius XII commissioned excavations in 1939, underneath the basilica's high altar, the bones of St. Peter were rediscovered 11 years later, sitting in a marble repository wrapped in purple and gold fabric, something incredibly expensive in those days and typically reserved for royalty. So aside from that fact, how do we know that they could be St. Peter's bones, in fact. So anthropologists concluded the bones belonged to a man between 60 and 70 years of age, which Peter would have been, about 5 feet 7 inches tall, which was about average for that area of the earth in that time period, and of robust constitution, an apt description of the fisherman St. Peter. Every section of the body was accounted for in the reliquary except for the feet and the skull. The absence of the feet 
corresponds, of course, to the account of his upside-down crucifixion. And the skull was absent, likely because it's been in the Basilica of St. John Lateran for over a thousand years. And that fact was confirmed by anthropologists after comparing the two sets of remains. In 1968, Pope Paul VI released an official report and stated that the bones had been, quote, identified in a way which we can hold to be convincing. So pretty cool. The actual St. Peter, his bones lie beneath the high altar of the basilica bearing his name. And finally, Peter's legacy. Our first pope's legacy could be the giant basilica bearing his name in Rome, the fact that he's the only pope who contributed to the Bible, or that he's still the guy manning the pearly gates and all those jokes about heaven. But the legacy, however, that I think has been the most enduring is easily the very visible example of Peter and his successors being present for 20 centuries. Heck, it's the only reason this podcast could ever exist in the first place. For nearly 2,000 years, Peter and his successors have visibly been at the head of the Catholic Church. 264 men, up to and including Pope Francis, the 265th successor of St. Peter. By the way, you heard that right. There's been 265 successors, but only 264 actual individuals to serve as Pope, because one guy, Pope Benedict IX, was actually Pope three times. <laughs> we'll get to him before too long. Anyways, a story that exemplifies Peter's legacy particularly well comes from Bishop Robert Barron's book, Catholicism. Right after the election of Pope Benedict XVI in 2005, when several cardinals were standing on a balcony of St. Peter's Basilica watching the festivities, a news camera spotted Cardinal Francis George, the late Archbishop of Chicago, staring off into the distance and smirking. When asked later what he was thinking about, George said, quote, I was gazing over the Circus Maximus, toward the Palatine Hill, where the Roman emperors once resided, and reigned and looked down upon the persecution of Christians, and I thought, where are their successors? But if you want to see the successor of Peter, he's right next to me, smiling and waving at the crowds. I'll leave you this week with a quote from St. Peter himself. This is something we'll look to do for any pope whose writings are still in existence. And this one comes from the third chapter of the first letter of St. Peter. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is right? But even if you do suffer for the sake of righteousness, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, reverence Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who calls you to account for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. And keep your conscience clear, so that when you are abused, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing right, if that should be God's will, than for doing wrong. So thanks for listening this week. As we go, the success of this podcast will rely on two things, aside, of course, from the grace of God. First, to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever you're listening to this, and providing feedback on what you think. The more you rate, the more likely it's seen and listened to by others, and the better feedback I get, the better the podcast can become. And second, consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Sewell. That donation, even at a buck per episode, will get you some sweet Patreon-only content, early access to podcast episodes, and will allow me to continue devoting time to producing these great bios. So that's patreon.com slash M-A-T-T-S-E-W-E-L-L, patreon.com slash Sewell. Anything you'd like to give is, of course, much appreciated. So that's it for this week. St. Peter, pray for us. Until next time.